Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan, and for this episode of the Influence Continuum, I have two guests with me today who uh, I've known and worked together with. Uh, Mark O'Donnell and his wife Kimberly are former Jehovah's Witnesses turned whistleblowers following revelations of significant mishandling of child abuse within the church and the discovery that church policy influenced congregation elders not to report crimes to law enforcement. As a survivor of abuse and cover-up, Kimberly has shared her story publicly and collaborates with survivors and organizations to raise awareness of abuse, neglect, and the importance of mandatory reporting. Mark now works as a consultant and freelance writer. Mark and Kimberly's story was featured in the Atlantic magazine in 2019 and in the Vice documentary Crusaders in the summer of 2021. And I want to welcome welcome you to the Influence Continuum, Mark and Kimmy. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Great to see you again. Yes. And I just wanted to share for my listeners that many know that I was in the Moonies cult and I got deprogrammed and helped other people get out. And eventually in 1988, published my first book, Combating Cult Mind Control, that um, was very popular, became a bestseller. And uh, after it came out, I started getting letters, snail mail for the digital generation, because it was way before the internet, <laughs> uh, from former members of the Watchtower, especially Randall Waters, who was a former Bethel elder, uh, said, I loved your book. How come you didn't mention the Jehovah's Witnesses? And I said, why? Should I have mentioned them? And he said, are you kidding me? I underlined the entire book. It's a cult. And I went, really? And he said, yeah. I said, teach me. And he said, come to LA and I'll organize a group of ex-members and we'll teach you. And that's what happened. And after all of these decades since, I've learned a lot more about the Watchtower Society. And uh, it isn't good. Uh, I'm very, very concerned about people who are still caught up in this destructive cult, and the cult continues to recruit. And I wanted to have the two of you on with me because you've lived it. You're survivors. You were born and raised in it, and you've had very direct personal experience, as well as the fact that you're whistleblowers, that you had the courage to not just take care of yourselves and exit but you want to help so many other people to get out. So thank you profoundly. And um, can we start with you, Kimmy, to share what you would want to say to the public about your experience? Well, just a brief background for me. Um, my mom was, she still is one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, my father was not. Um, I have two siblings. Um, I was uh, raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I was baptized in 1992 at the age of 14. Uh, unfortunately, my mom is a, a very abusive person. She, um, you know, wasn't very kind to us growing up, and, and she used the religion to kind of also uh, abuse us. And um, uh, going through all of that, I, I didn't really know what was going on. But when I was at the Kingdom Hall when I was a young teenager, you know, I asked for. Uh, help from them. And um, I was always directed not to report the abuse to the elders, to report the abuse to um, 
the law enforcement to mental health professionals uh, for fear that it would make the organization look bad. And, um, you know, I continued to kind of live in fear until I was 17 and I was able to leave home and uh, move in with a couple in my congregation. Um, I ultimately married Mark in uh, 1998. And then uh, Mark left um, in November of 2013. And then it 13 months later, uh, he was able to help wake me up and I was able to then to leave. Yeah, that's that's an incredible story. I, people, you know, people just know from the knock on the door, do we want to study the Bible? And the people are so nice. And everyone that I've met are nice. And but that's not the criteria for being under mind control. And, and and what I came to understand is that when they're studying the Bible, it's their version of the Bible, not the ver the translation that all Christians and Jews use. And things are twisted theologically, all to make the Watchtower the authoritarian ruler over all these millions of members. Right. And that was one of the things with uh, the bite model, you know, thought control, um, when we were members, we were taught that we had the best version of the Bible, the New World Translation. We were taught that they put so much time and effort into writing the Bible and translating the Bible. And then when we got out and we kind of learned that um, scholars and theologians, you know, they don't respect that version of the Bible because it right. was, you know, quite altered. Um, and uh, but when you're in it, you know, you think that, you know, you're elite, that you have, you know, this they call it the truth and just like other groups do. Yes. Um, so that was a. Uh, it was a kind of interesting, you know, uh, dynamic when we left learning that, you know, we didn't have a, a better version of the Bible. Yeah, and of course, the Moonies said, we have the best Bible, too, the, the divine principle, and it's better than anything else. And we thought everybody else were cults, but not us. Mark, you've been tirelessly helping so many people, gathering information, uh, some information that was leaked, um, uh, years ago about a pedophile list at headquarters um, that uh, 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 of people in, in, uh, that were listed as being accused of pedophilia, I should say. Um, but please say what you want about your own experience and where you're at now. But I'm especially interested in people yeah. connecting the dots with the bigger cult issue that is facing us in the world today. Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, just the issue of child abuse alone has really impacted more people who are members of the faith or former members than just about any other scandal I have seen. Um, and that really actually surprised me. It, it probably shouldn't surprise me. Uh, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, of course, uh, throughout my childhood, I was born in, as we call it, and yeah. I was baptized uh, in 1984 at the age of 16. So, um, you know, I, I had this template of um, religious indoctrination that was placed over my entire life such that when you are a Jehovah's Witness, all of your friends are witnesses. You're not, you know, it's highly discouraged to have any friendships with people outside of the church. Mm -hmm. And um, higher education is discouraged and so many other things. I, I want to interrupt and just say higher education was discouraged because like other apocalyptic cults, 
they, the leadership keeps saying the end is coming any second. So why bother going to college or, or graduate mm -hmm. school and developing your mind and having a, a good uh, a career uh, because of this constant indoctrination and fear sure. about Armageddon? Yeah, even recently, the uh, governing body members, uh, you know, they have their new, um, not new, it's maybe five or six years, seven years old now. More, more longer, the JW Broadcasting. So their members now are putting forth this information, particularly the anti-education rules um, to their members. And they're saying things like, well, you know, in the new world, we're not going to need doctors and lawyers and all of these professions that require a higher level of education. But they said, we will need plumbers and carpenters. So, and you know, aside from not getting that kind of an education, it also keeps them at a very low, I guess, not only intelligence level, but it keeps them um, very, very busy with the evangelizing and preaching work, trying to convert others. Um, and there's so a it, requirement monthly to to be a publisher. Sure, right? sure, and um, absolutely, every Jehovah's Witness, you know, must at some point become what's called a publisher. Usually, that happens well before baptism. Um, so I was a publisher knocking on doors uh, well before I was baptized at age 16. So all of these things, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It, it's a slow, imperceptible changes the 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 twisting of your mind to a new reality, and the new reality is what the church teaches and how everyone else is bad, that Satan is controlling the entire system of things. You should have no desire to be with these people, to go out to dinner with them, to be educated with them in universities. Um, the only contact you should really have with the outside world is either a necessary job, if you have a job, uh, and also the primarily the door-to-door -door or the letter writing or the telephone call preaching work that Jehovah's Witnesses do. Right. So if I go back into my story, um, as I mentioned, child abuse really is a significant thing that has affected me and, and honestly millions of people who are connected yes. to the Jehovah's Witness Church. I discovered at a very uh, young age that there were problems with child sexual abuse and, and assault in the congregation uh, that I was part of. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't realize that how global in, sca in uh, scope this yes. was. I recall as, long, as maybe early as 12 or 13 years of age, seeing a an appointed Jehovah's Witness pioneer minister, which is a special privilege, um, inappropriately touching young girls. And, you know, I really didn't consider myself a snitch anyway, but even at a preteen age, I thought this bothered me. And I spoke to the elders about it. And, you know, instead of them uh, chastising the individual for what he was doing or investigating it, they ended up telling this individual that I was the one who revealed this to the elders, and <sighs> that person came after me and caused me a great deal of problem. And, and I'm a young kid, yeah, 12, 13 years old. So that was a problem. But then later, uh, much later after I left the Jehovah's Witness organization, I researched whatever happened to that individual. And as it turns out, um, he was sued by no less than seven women for sexual assault um, in the uh, context of not only the Jehovah's Witnesses, but this massage school that he was working at. And um, it wow. turns out he was manipulating women 
But the elders swept that under the rug. Uh, They didn't deal with it. They didn't report anything to law enforcement. But moving forward in time, when I was around 16, I began noticing how they treated victims. And, you know, it really influenced my mind, Steve, to know that there was, for example, a 16 or 15-year-old girl that had been um, in a sexual relationship with an adult three or four times her age, and the elders never went to the police. They knew all about it. it. It was actually... The father who ended up going to the police against mm-hmm. the orders of the church elders. Uh-huh. That was my very beginning of understanding that there was a serious problem with child sexual abuse and the lack of reporting. But the sad thing is that even the the church elders themselves don't know what the real policies are at Watchtower headquarters, the Jehovah's Witness headquarters, they're required to just pick up the phone, call the legal department. The legal department then generally will tell them, no, you're under no obligation to report uh, this abuse in your state. You're you're under a clergy confidentiality uh, exemption. So they give those men the impression that they should not report, and they do not report in 99% of all cases. Yeah, and you mentioned that it's the abuse is bigger than you've heard with other groups. I assume you include the Catholic Church. Per capita the abuse? answer is yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, if you compare the numbers, um, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses have 8 million worldwide and um I don't remember the statistics on the Catholic Church, but um you know, generally the Catholic Church cases would involve a priest and right. And, and children that were in contact with the priest, whereas uh, what's interesting about the Jehovah's Witness Church is they don't just have one priest. They call them elders, and they might have 9, 10, 15, up to 20 elders <clears throat> in any one given congregation, <clears throat> Excuse me. in addition to ministerial servants who are also appointed men. So you might have a congregation with 20 to 30 appointed men. This is where the real control problem happens um, with lack of reporting is that you have so many uh, men, and I say men because all Jehovah's Witness elders and ministerial servants are men, women You mean they don't let women be elders? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Not not at all. So that's all based on their interpretation of Scripture. Right. Uh, But because there's so many men, in addition to others that are not Mm -hmm. appointed, that have contact with children— um, I believe that that is what creates this very dangerous situation where you have so many individuals who do have contact with children. And when they're, you know, most witness children and their parents are afraid to report because reporting goes against church policy. It, it puts the church in a negative light. They don't want this to become um, mentioned in the press or in court documents. They want to sweep it under the rug and handle it spiritually. And that's where we come to well, the that's conflict That's what they between... say is spiritual, but we all Correct. know it's about money and power and PR. Ultimately, it's for the protection of the church, yes. Correct. Yeah. So I want to switch, if I may, for a minute, and we can come back to this very important topic, to the whole issue of the, in my mind, ridiculous interpretation that the Watchtower has around telling members they can't get a blood transfusion that will save their life. And I wrote a blog about a young woman pregnant who said you need a blood transfusion when she was ready to deliver. And she lost her life because of this 
misinterpretation of of scripture that talks about kosher law. I'm Jewish. <laughs> they just right. apply it, and and nobody that I know of, no theologian of any type, ever says, "Yeah, it's okay to let people die for a treatable." problem if they just get a blood transfusion. Well, for those that don't know, the and, and Kimmy, can, she knows quite a bit about this subject and she can comment on that. But the, the very short explanation of why they do this is because obviously in the, in the Old Testament, uh, where the Hebrew scriptures, as they call it, uh, there's a scripture in Leviticus that says that, uh, you know, when an animal's, animal is sacrificed, the blood must be poured out onto the ground and blood is sacred. And they were not they were told not to eat the blood. Yeah. So that in itself is is one thing. However, the Jehovah's Witnesses, what they're teaching is, is that anything that is stated in the Old Testament, if it is reiterated in the New Testament or the Greek scriptures, if it is reinforced, then that means that it's a Christian principle and that all Jehovah's Witnesses as Christians must obey that. So they pull up a scripture in 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm not sure, 15. It The Apostle Paul wrote that, Christians must, of all things, abstain from fornication, you know, or immoral sex, um, and from um, things sacrificed to idols, and for, from blood. He specifically mentioned the eating of blood. So, but eating is <laughs> is is kosher eating. It's right. not about saving life because Jews believe save life at any cost, right. almost above. Even but, there's a scripture about Shabbat. If you see an animal in a ditch, you're obligated to yeah. save the animal, even though it's work. Right. To you could drive it. to a hospital on yeah. Shabbat to save your life. But 100%. you know the 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 ridiculous thing that they teach Steve is well, the abstain from blood, not to eat blood. Is like they correlate it to like if you were in a hospital and you were receiving like glucose or something through the IV, you know, that they were feeding you that way. So also a blood transfusion is given to you that same way. So it could kind of be interpreted that way. Um, for those that don't know, uh, they consider, you know, whole blood or red blood cells, white blood cells, plasma um, and platelets. Those, those are the things that you can't have. Of course, um, this day and age, you don't really normally receive a whole blood transfusion. For any family members or friends or doctors that are listening, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, we they they still do. We personally as well did. We carried an advanced medical directive that was uh, a legal document for our state that we signed that said that you know if we could not speak for ourselves and we were brought to a hospital that we did not want to receive you know um, a whole tr blood transfusion or any of those major blood components. Uh, we were taught it was a matter of loyalty, right? So for me, it was always this matter of loyalty. This was a temporary life. I just had to get through it. Um, even if we lost our life, you know, in keeping up with God's laws, we would be able to live forever. And so, you know, we all, Mark and myself, personally know people that have died because of, you know, refusing yeah, blood transfusion. Yeah, and you, are the, you, you taught me about the Watchtower's efforts to indoctrinate doctors uh, to you know, to respect the religious ideas of the Watchtower, to only give you know synthetic blood or whatever. Would they but, consider a component? So like, th you know, they have things like uh, epoetin, fibrin glue, things that are made from components of blood. They look at it like it's so small now; it's no longer blood. It's just what it you know that little thing. Uh, they have a lot of bloodless medicine. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses were setting up and have set up many bloodless medicine centers and hospitals. Um, and then they go around and they, they teach doctors, you know, about this bloodless medicine. 
And so when you are a Jehovah's Witness, you're actually taught that blood transfusions um, harm your chances of healing from surgery, uh, that you actually get out of the hospital sooner if you don't have a blood transfusion. Um, And you you think you have better medical care, Steve, by refusing blood. I think this is where your work comes in here, Steve, because this is all about how to influence people um, without them realizing it. And it's taken place with the Jehovah's Witnesses over a very slow, uh, steady period of time. For example, um, they didn't uh, put the ban on blood transfusions uh, until about, what, 1945. Prior to that, um, the the Jehovah's Witnesses were anti-vaxxers. They, you know, they had bans on vaccines. Um, but once they put the the blood ban into effect, whereas Kimmy said you can't take any red blood cells, white right. cells, platelets, or plasma, once that went into effect, then they began the misinformation campaign with junk or pseudoscience, and that carried on 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, where it affected generations of Jehovah's Witnesses. And just as an example, they taught, they instilled unnatural fear of blood, so much so that uh, they they were teaching for a long time that the blood that you received into your body from a donor would reflect the personality traits of that donor. So they specifically said if that donor was a thief or a murderer, then you would inherit those personality traits. So it took decades, but they built up this incredibly unnatural fear. This was this was cult influence at its finest or at right. its worst. But they built this fear into myself, my wife, uh, my father. You know, Kim, Kimmy's father was never even baptized as a witness, but he he was taught these things in Bible study with the witnesses, and he had this incredible fear Phobia. of what blood would do to him. Yeah. So he refused phobias. blood on six different occasions. Um, you know, for that fear. And because he thought that he his personality would change and he may end up being a bad person. And so later, after we left, you know, it took a, quite a bit of con- reasoning with my father to help him understand, you know, that blood was not dangerous and that doctors weren't out to get him. And I'll quickly just say that on his uh, most recent back surgery, he told the surgeon that his views had changed and that if he needed blood, he would now accept blood. My father's surgeon cried and gave my father a hug because he just wanted to be able to save his life if it came down to it. He wasn't trying to make money or anything like that off of a blood transfusion. Yeah, that's so touching. But it's it's, uh, a real issue that I think the legal system is going to need to deal with going forward. Because my position is that when Jehovah's Witnesses knock on a door and say, we want to study the Bible, they're not giving full informed consent to the people they're recruiting. And, and, and really, in many cases, they're actually turning people against their religion of origin or infringing on their religious freedom. Yeah, like I was, I I was raised Jewish. The Moonies lied to me, said, "Oh, we're not religious," right? And then I'm bowing to an altar before Moon and ready to, you know, die or kill on command. I think the law needs to have a reckoning with organizations that hide behind the freedom of religion and really think about the well-being of its members. For example, a lot of people are labor trafficked in mm-hmm. in these organizations spending hours and hours to make money for the group 
against their own best interests or forced to tithe. Yeah, Mark and I did all, we did a tremendous amount. Like, you know, I was a full-time uh, minister, which was called a pioneer. Uh, Mark worked mm. um, on the sound systems for the kingdom halls, as well as, you know, the large assembly halls, spending, yeah. you know, countless, you know, probably thousands of hours, Mark, right? Oh, um, yeah. And we did that at our own cost, um, you know. And you talk about informed consent, Steve, and it's interesting. It's like when I used to go to doors, I would tell people, I'm not here to recruit you. I'm only here to, you know, share a, a positive thought from the Bible. And I honestly believe that until I left and I realized yeah. that in all of these schooling and training, I was receiving as a special pioneer, as a pioneer, I was being taught to manipulate and influence and exactly. control people. And um, exactly. yeah, that, that's definitely got to change. Yeah, it's, it's behavioral modeling. It's how I learned in the Moonies. I was paired up with an older member and taught how to recruit. So yeah. I repeated almost verbatim the kinds of language. For example, my, my example of what you just shared was uh, there's a part in the Mooney Doctrine of the history parallels. And I was told, because I heard my superior saying, these parallels are true, and you can go to a library and open up a history textbook and verify this is true. But I had never looked at a history textbook until later when I realized it wasn't true. And then it started, you know, me to question. It's that art of deception where they appear to be open and transparent, but you never bother to check. And of course, that brings us into apostasy, where for Jehovah's Witnesses, if you do bother to check and you check an internet site or a YouTube site, then uh, you are instantly uh, considered as an apostate, and that's a disfellowshipping offense, which means that they will use... Uh, their judicial powers within the church uh, to reprove or, in most cases, disfellowship a person, which means that they no longer have contact with all of their friends, anyone in the congregation, even their own family members, unless they're a minor living with a parent. You lose everything. So you're not allowed to question. It's the And the, the irony of that, too, is the fact that, you know, when you're young or in your 20s or 30s and you become a member of the church— um, you are told to question everything. You're told to question the church you were in if you're not a born-in. So you're told to research, to criticize research, research. And just are told the same thing. Research yeah. and walk away if it isn't true. But, but in the meantime, you, you can only use their their publications, right? Yeah, exactly. Their website, their videos. Once you get that hook in you, it's like the barbs on a fish hook. It doesn't go the other way. You exactly. can't extricate yourself as a Jehovah's Witness. Once you are baptized, it's over. And you can be, um, you know, most young kids now are getting baptized anywhere from 9 to 16 years of age. Ah, oh, they're way too young. This is where I really, you know, appreciate your work, Stephen, and I hope that, and perhaps you can comment more on it, but you both mentioned the word consent. Age of consent is a real serious thing whether it's a child abuse case, whether it's a, a case of consenting to a blood transfusion. So how is it then that as a society, we allow this entrapment where uh, it's, you know, the witnesses would say, well, this is the firmly and deeply held religious beliefs of this child who is saying to the doctors, I don't want a blood transfusion. Well, they only are saying that because of the sphere of influence exactly. that they were born into. Exactly. So, you know, it, did they really do they really consent? Is Not it really in my their deeply? Opinion. No, and, and when we got baptized, right. Mark, uh, we didn't know. I didn't even understand what disfellowshipping was all about. I didn't. 
realize what I was joining. Right. I really want to contact. I want to dive deeper on this because excommunication, shunning, disfellowshipping creates such intense trauma. I've talked to endless numbers of people who were uh, suffered disfellowshipping in 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 the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I believe there are some scientists studying the negative effects psychologically on being told you can't see your mother or father or see your own child or your sister or your brother because three mm-hmm. old farts uh, <laughs> in a in a you know an elder meeting said so. Yeah, it's um, it 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 results in a lot of suicides, a lot of depression, uh, just a, just a tremendous homelessness. And I would argue that it doesn't work um, because people that are disfellowshipped. I mean, it really is not a healthy thing to live in fear right. of being reproved, disfellowshipped, pulled into the back room as the elders often do. Um, it's a really, really unhealthy thing. Whereas, you know, a person who wants to be Christian or Jewish or any other faith really should do so out of the abundance of their personal, deeply held beliefs and should not be subject to that kind of, um, you know, uh, excruciating process and control. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It's it's awful. So um, talk a little bit about the struggles that people have when they wake up they realize it's a cult, but their family is still in. And oh. the struggles there of what do I do? Part of me wants to leave and have a, like a real life, but I love my family. I love my siblings. I want to help them out. Talk about that suffering. Well, I will just say like for our personal experience, um, you know, I didn't realize what some of the things that were going on in Mark's head prior to him no longer wanting to attend, he had suffered some health difficulties um, early on in 2013. And I think maybe, Mark, you can speak later about that, but maybe some distance from being like we talk about getting off the treadmill of of influence, right? He wasn't at all the meetings because he was having some health problems and he was starting to think for himself. And so then when he told me that he was no longer going to go and he's taking two steps back um, to kind of reevaluate things because he was not given that chance, you know, f- you know, for me, uh, it was devastating. It was, uh, you know, I just remember thinking, you know, he was going to die and I was going to see his, you know, dead body at Armageddon and, you know, have to live in this paradise without him. And it was just an awful kind of thing. And then as Mark continued to research, he had to do that all privately. Uh, we had a company where we had um, Jehovah's Witnesses that worked for us. We had apartments where we had Jehovah's Witnesses renting from us. Right. So Mark had to create this... Um, ego, uh, you know, alter um, alias on Facebook as John Redwood. Um, John Redwood. I was trying to remember the name. (laughs) You spent years helping people get out under the pseudonym because you didn't want to red jeopardize your marriage right. or your 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 company. And- oh yeah, it would have blown everything up. Uh- and there was a good chance that I would we would have you know not been stayed together. I was very fortunate that Mark was uh, very careful in some of the conversations that we had, um, yeah. and because of my experience with you know the the serious child abuse that was not reported. Um, you know, he was able to tell me a little bit about um, a case, Candace Conti, and I was able to look up uh, court documents on my own that I did right. not consider apostate because it was, right. you know, court documents. Right. 
And then it, you know, took me 13 months and I I left behind Mark. But um, yeah, that was, uh, we were very fortunate. So for many, they, you know, you lose your family, you know, a wall goes up and, you know, in in fact, I will just say this um, lastly about our experiences in the first two weeks after they learned that Mark was no longer attending without ever coming and talking to Mark, they were encouraging me to leave. No less than five times, including an elder, to leave Mark. Right. We were happily married. He was a good man. He was providing for us. He just simply did not believe any longer. And they, one elder's wife offered to come and pack, pack up my, help me pack my things up and move out, you know, because of this fear, I think, that, that they had that he would wake me up and I would leave as well. Yeah. And you just alluded to a teaching uh, that I want to share with our listeners that our listeners may be a little bit uh, shocked about. This notion that if you're in the Jehovah's Witnesses, you will live forever on planet Earth. You yeah, know, uh, everyone else will be destroyed, but you get the goodies. Right. And you well, have immortality. I, I, sure. Earth. Most people are familiar with uh, the term Armageddon, and um, Jehovah's Witnesses believe quite literally in everything that is uh, stated in the Bible. Uh, for example, the you know the fact that there's going to be this great war of God the Almighty, and that all all false religions, which is every religion except for Jehovah's Witnesses, all religions From will be destroyed. From their point of view, right? Uh, of course, <laughs> that's their teaching. So, right. so the basic teaching is that obviously all religions are false, and that they are controlled by Satan, and that their teachings are apostate teachings that went all the way back to the early Christian church, the first century church, where people started breaking away and started teaching false things. They uh, they created the Catholic Church, and you had the Council of Nicaea, and then later you have all these other offshoots and Protestant huh. religions, and all of that they believe is all going to be destroyed. And then what's going to happen is the governments uh, are going to see that the only religion left is Jehovah's Witnesses, and that the government is going to turn against Jehovah's Witnesses, and that's the point where God will step in, Jehovah will step in, and he will completely eradicate and destroy all governments in this earth, as well as anyone who is, supports those governments, which includes anyone who learned about Jehovah's Witnesses through the door knocking or the letter writing and yeah. refused it, turned it down. We were always taught that, and it's still the teaching that when Armageddon comes, all humanity will be destroyed unless they are ones who became or studying with Jehovah's Witnesses. And then after Armageddon, there's going to be these, this thousand-year reign of Christ in which uh, humanity will slowly grow back to perfection, and there's going to be one final test from Satan at the end of the thousand years, and any who decide after they've reached perfection, any who decide not to serve God, they will be completely and permanently wiped off the face of the earth, leaving behind <clears throat> only the Jehovah's Witnesses on earth, not in heaven. And of course, uh, based on Revelation, they also have this belief that there are 144,000 who will be uh, taken from the earth. Uh, Of course, these are primarily all Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, They also believe that prior to the uh, creation of the the modern-day Jehovah's Witness Church, there were a few people who did good things who will go to heaven. Um, But remember, the number is completely limited to 144,000 throughout all humanity, so they might look at a Bible translator like a William Tyndale. They might say, well, he might be one of the 144,000 and go to heaven. But uh, that's that's the teaching that majority of people will be. Yeah, and this, this group was started by Russell in the late 1800s. 
Um, yes. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, if my memory. Well, he was a, not that. He was a Second Adventist. Okay. So um, there's there's quite a bit in the media. I, I don't know. Uh, there's some television shows that refer to, um, like, for example, Hulu carried the series, I think, called The Path. And in one of the episodes of The Path, they refer to uh, 1844 and William Miller. Yet all these people in the mid to late 1800s who were believing in the second advent of Christ, it all started with numerology. They looked at the scriptures in the book of Daniel, and they started saying, oh, uh, these numbers in the book of Daniel mean a day for a year. And they Mm. started taking numbers and calculating dates, and they got all wrapped up in it. Well, Charles Taze Russell was one of those men. Um, he read the writings of William Miller and others. He he was connected to all of these Adventists or Second Adventists, meaning the Second Advent of Christ. So they right. were all looking for Christ to return. Russell said, ah, I figured it out. Christ is returning invisibly to the earth. And, uh, and he at that time believed that the invisible presence went from 1874 to 1914, and at that point Armageddon would come. Right, well, so this is that a group that said at least four times an actual date yeah, sure. for the end of the world, and oops, yeah. didn't get Up it right. Up until 1975, they did that, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. It's fascinating. So I want to cover a couple more topics before we, we wrap up our interview. Another thing that was so disturbing to me as I learned more about the Watchtower was how they expected children to act like adults, and they administered corporal punishment to infants for crying at the back of a kingdom hall. And I remember, Mark, you had a story is popping in my head about a belt. Uh, was it your father, or could, would you share? Well, sure. I mean, I, I was I grew up in that era, and um, I mean, I, I couldn't begin to count how many times the the children in my congregation here in Baltimore were. Uh, if they started misbehaving or doing too much coloring with their crayons or not paying attention to the speaker on complex subjects of everything from biblical violence to sex and fornication to masturbation, all of these topics they pushed in front of children, if the child was getting bored and misbehaved, my goodness, um, so many, uh, you know, I can still in my mind see them being dragged to the back of the kingdom hall and being whipped or beaten um, yeah, I many carried under- a wooden spoon with them. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, going into the bathroom or outside and you just hear the screams of children. I That's what I grew up with. That was my normal. That's what I expected. And I didn't know as a child that that was not normal. And that was That's abusive. child abuse. Right. Yeah, we it didn't actually know it. creates brain dis- you know, trauma. Uh, yeah. it, re- it really does. It's very unhealthy. But it makes people fearful to obey authority, otherwise and I know, they'll get harmed. It, yeah, right. it, and so, and you grew up fearing the elders' authority. Exactly. And that kept, and that's why so many were just, uh, you know, like for example, in modern day, I deal with lots of child abuse cases. Right now, the state of Illinois is taking two, they've arrested and uh, detained, uh, well, they're out on recognizance, but two church elders who did not report the child abuse of a six-year-old girl or a seven-year-old girl who, because they didn't report the child abuse, they went 
uh, for 12 more years, her abuser, her father, molested her, and the mother didn't speak hardly any English. So she, her only authority were these congregation elders. She told them, they called the Watchtower. The Watchtower said, you have no obligation to report this. So the girl, as a child, she had no other authority in her life than these elders and her mother and, and of course, her abusive father, who she still lived with for right. all those years of the abuse. So really, it goes to your point that um, this, this fear of authority and subjection to this authority without any way to get out of it that traps a child until even well after they become an adult, it's, um, you know, it's not their truly deeply held convictions. It's, it's just what has been impressed upon them yeah. as a child. It's programming. It's yeah. horrible. I also want to just comment that people do, as you've demonstrated, wake up and leave. And uh, I remember a member who had been in, I think, 60 plus years and was actually a member of the governing body, which is the highest group that oversees all policy, Raymond Franz, went public, wrote a book called Crisis of Conscience, about how he realized after all these years and all this indoctrination that the leadership wasn't following the Bible. They were just doing policies to make money or to do good PR. And he had a crisis of conscience and left. And it resulted in a lot of people leaving. Um, Talk a little bit more about the, the, the movement you're part of, of former elders, former leaders who are speaking out uh, and wanting to help their family, friends, loved ones, and just the public uh, from this organization. Well, certainly Ray Franz is probably the most uh, prominent example because he was a member of that ultra-exclusive uh, governing body uh, who were controlling the lives of of, of millions. Yes. And there were so many scandals that Ray Franz wrote about, and without going into all the details of it, he he had a chapter in his book on Malawi versus Mexico, and what I happened there. That. Was, uh, yeah. The Jehovah's Witnesses in Malawi were told that uh, even though it's a one-party state, they couldn't buy a fifty-cent political card and just put their name on it. They weren't voting anyway. It was uh, it was basically a dictatorship. Oh, I need to interrupt you, and this is the other part of the Watchtower. You're not allowed to vote, right? Absolutely not. No, you have to be politically neutral. So, so I'm I'm glad you yes. interjected that because one of the teachings is is that we are no part of the world, right. meaning we can't get involved in politics, not even a school election. Um, yeah. You have to sit all of that out. So, what happened was the Jehovah's Witnesses were obviously, you know, trying to be neutral in in the country of Malawi back in the 1970s, early 70s, and when it was required of them to buy this political card. Um, they refused because Watchtower told them to refuse. The governing body told them to refuse. And as and as a result, they were um, tortured, uh, killed. Thousands of them died. Thousands of them uh, had to flee the country. And it was it was brutal. It was much like the the you know conflict between the the, the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. But it was this uh, battle against the Jehovah's Witnesses for no reason at all, other than they wouldn't sign this political card. Whereas in Mexico, what we discovered, what Ray Franz discovered, was that they were doing something very similar, but the Jehovah's Witnesses in Mexico were allowed to basically bribe the government officials to have a uh, to sign a card that says they've been through their two 
uh, two-week military training. Even though they weren't going into the military, they had to get this document signed. Uh And the brothers in uh, Mexico, brothers is what they call each other, were allowed to to basically pay off the officials. And so they were not killed by anyone. The government didn't go after them because they— they had presented these cards, signed, bribed the officials, paid the... But in right. Malawi, they weren't allowed to do that. And that that really bothered Ray Franz because he saw so much death and he was at the top of it. He was, right. at, he was at the top of that food chain and, he, and he, couldn't, he couldn't abide that anymore. Right. And so, so many people have left the Jehovah's Witnesses group. Some have become Christians like Ray Franz did and was very happy... Uh, to feel like he's just following the Bible and not the Watchtower uh, uh, publications, because uh, aren't aren't members told that you can't understand the Bible without reading their literature and and understanding their interpretation? In any case, and then there's other people who leave and they don't have any spiritual beliefs. They feel so spiritually raped, for lack of a better description. They feel so abused that they 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 can't allow yeah. themselves well, well the, that also the, comes from when like mark mentioned earlier when you when we were members were being taught that all other groups you know are are false false religion and you ha- and even have a fear of even going in there for weddings and such so when you leave members still carry that feel they don't they don't deprogram get deprogrammed they don't go through the therapy that they need right and then they're still they're kind of scared to step foot into another church and they still have that fear um and they don't Sometimes they don't even realize where it's stemming from. Right. So as we wrap up, I'd like, Kimmy, maybe first you and then Mark, uh, to give your final thoughts of what you'd like to to share. But talk a little bit first about um, the ex-member movement, because there are some people who've written books. They have websites. I know there's a good one on blood transfusion uh, to understand, as Mark correctly said, Russell didn't say anything against blood transfusion. This was a later invention, yeah. Uh, yeah, much I, later. I, I will say we're, we're fortunate now that we have technology. So while sometimes, you know, the social media and, and Facebook and all that kind of stuff can cause some misinformation, some issues, in, in, this, in this case, now ex-members, um, when you're leaving or thinking about leaving, uh, you can kind of connect. And uh, for me... Um, I thought my experience was unique. I didn't realize there were other people that were going through the same thing that had experienced the abuse um, in the organization and was, you know, you couldn't report it and and continued to had those, you know, big abuse for years. So right. when I learned that there were so many other um, people that had that same experience, it helped me. It empowered me to kind of learn more and and to leave. Um, and uh, you know, there's XJW groups on Reddit. There's groups on Facebook. There. Um, uh, there's ex, there's like meetup groups that you can search for your local areas. And it's really important um, to kind of set up a social structure, even if you are in and you're starting to have questions, um, to, you know, very carefully under like an alias like Mark did um, to right. kind of start trying to reach out and create a community for yourself outside. Uh, that's That was the hardest thing for me is leaving. And I left that community, um, you know, sure. I left that sense of helping people. Um, and I had to fill that void. I knew that if I did not fill that void with other people that, you know, I could have a chance of kind of being uh, influenced to come back and, you know, into that organization and and continue to be a part of the cult. So, you know, 
I just think so that's really important. You're helping people leave, in other words, and get their life together. Right. And, and, try, so, and also that means, well, what are you interested in? Um, you can join groups like Mark and we joined a softball, uh, a local, you know, co-ed softball league in our rec council. It helped us be around uh, people. We were known as Mark and Kimmy in that group, not XJW or Postate Mark and Kimmy, right? It helped us figure mm. out who we were and kind of get grounded in that. Yeah, it's great. I highly recommend the Atlantic article that features your stories and then the Vice documentary uh, about called The Crusaders, if I remember correctly. Uh, disclosure, I think they included me for a couple of minutes in that one. Um, yeah. How about you, Mark? What, what, what words would you like to share as we're looking well, at Well, I the think, um, you know, one of the objections that you might get from obviously any active witnesses would be to say, well, uh, they might say, well, Mark and Kimmy are disgruntled, angry apostates that are trying to present us in a negative light, and they're telling a bunch of apostate lies. And of course, that's not true, but that's what they're telling their members. Every cult says that about ex-members, right. buddy. And <laughs> that's what we want people to understand, because when you're in it, you don't know you're in it. And that's right. that if any Jehovah's Witnesses are watching, I want them to understand that uh, because generally speaking, we had a lot of good experiences as witnesses in going on vacations with our friends and and traveling and going to weddings all over the country or world. And I mean, we you know, it's it, it's not like it's um, it's so bad that every witness wants to leave but are trapped. It's very, very subtle. It's a matter of. First of all, the belief you have to accept the the system of beliefs as a package. You cannot have mm. a la carte beliefs. Mm. So I think that's what's really wrong ultimately with the entire uh, system is that the, the teaching that they've got all the beliefs right, no one else does. They are the only religion that practices love, um, that teaches their, uh, you know, they use the scripture uh, they, where the apostle says you must love one another, and that's the hallmark of Christianity. But for example, the blood uh, belief, you might go along with your life as a very happy Jehovah's Witness for your entire life until your two-year-old daughter um, needs a blood transfusion and the elders come and say, we are here to help you prevent that blood transfusion. We'll do anything we can. Uh, and they have a hospital liaison committee and elders, and you might just, right. unless the courts step in, you might just lose your daughter that's when people start to question the faith when they have a crisis, like Ray Franz had a crisis. You could go along your whole life, live and die as a happy Jehovah's Witness. We, we don't dispute that one bit. But you've given up your education. Um, you've given up friendship with people that normally, you know, normally Jehovah's Witnesses say you cannot be friends with the world. Yeah, you can't even go into a church, right? You can't. You know, there, no interfaith of any kind is allowed. No birthdays. Uh, no New oh, Year's. Oh, I forgot celebration. about birthdays. I no met holidays, people right? who were disfellowship for sending a birthday card to a non-witness. Yeah. yeah. No. 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 Um, Thanksgiving. You, you no know, Mother's Day. No Father's Day. No holidays whatsoever. So again, it's not a la carte. You can't just say, "Well, I really like what they teach here." And you know, to be honest with you, Steve, there's there's a lot of people who are. Um, conscientious objectors um, in different faiths who don't want to pick up a rifle and go and shoot someone and end their life. Now, that's right. their right to have that deeply held belief, and Jehovah's Witnesses certainly believe that, that they don't, they're not allowed to, nor do they go to war. 
Um, but it, you know, you think there was a there was a great movie about the uh, was it the Seventh Day Adventist? Uh, called, I think it was Hacksaw Ridge, about the young man who said he would honor his country and support his country, but he would not take the life of another man. And they tried to court-martial him. And ultimately, he ended up going to war, did not carry a weapon. And I think he saved 50, 60, 70 men in, in the, the Pacific. Um, but A lot of people become medics or do other types of service. Like Jehovah's without, Witnesses yeah. can't. Can't even right. do that. So right. you, you don't have the system of uh, being able to pick and choose what you feel is your Christian belief or Whatever yeah, the case. you can't think for yourself and have your own right. conscience. That's it's so, you know, evil for lack of a better term. It's just so offensive to all notions of basic yeah. human rights and religiosity, because religiosity should be about choice. And, right. You know, it, it, however you want to understand the Garden of Eden story, if you do believe it. God didn't brainwash Adam and Eve to be obedient. <laughs> and if God didn't do it, why will a group come around from the 1800s say, now we need to do it? Right. And we should I have a, a right to, to, to believe what we want yeah. for our medical care, you know, for all those kind of things. Right. I think the final thing that I would say is that um, I'm very fortunate that I am dedicated to helping victims of child abuse and um, what happens more often than not is that I'm contacted on an almost daily basis, not just by ex-members, but by members who are still in and serving as uh, elders, ministerial servants, which are like deacons. And they're having their own crisis of faith because, for example, they're not allowed to report child abuse to the right. authorities. They always have to call Watchtower's legal department first. Right. That is a completely unnecessary step. If you look at, for example, what the Seventh-day Adventists do, they report child abuse. They actually say in their manual that they don't have to contact their headquarters, their legal department. They allow their elders to immediately protect the child by calling law enforcement and letting them handle it. Right. So I'm getting contacted all the time and it's it's destroying the church from within because their own members are reaching out to me saying, I trust you, here's the documents, the documents from congregations all over uh, the US and, and Canada great. and Brazil. And, um, and they're disturbing, deeply disturbing documents of how much child sexual abuse cases are being hidden and never get turned over to law enforcement. It's yeah. significant. It's at least two or three cases on average per congregation. And they've got, I don't know, Kimmy, what now, 60 or 70,000 right, congregations right. worldwide. And they, they, they sold their big facility in Brooklyn, New York, and built a compound in upstate New York, I believe, in Warwick. But what is an yeah. apocalyptic cult that expects the world to be destroyed by God and rebuilt by God need hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars? Right. And they're a real well, right. They're yeah. a real estate mogul, right? That and they run it's really a business and it's not really a religion. Yeah. Right. What does that have to do with faith? I mean, they already are producing hundreds, if not thousands, of videos, but now they have to spend millions on this new Ramapo complex so they can make more videos. It's completely unnecessary, but they're, they, they've purchased this multi-million dollar complex and are just, I, I, I think it's got to stop somewhere. It's, it's starting to reach, uh, you know, a critical, a critical point. But those, yep. but those videos are necessary because it's propaganda that helps to control and influence members. Yes. Yeah, so you were, you were commenting, and I want to highlight it because 
my understanding is the Watchtower was anti the internet for a long time. Then they realized mm-hmm. so many people were finding out critical things online that they realized strategically yeah. we need to have JW.org yeah. and we need to build up a recruitment vehicle online. Yeah, it started out as watchtower.org and uh and I think they've slowly tried to uh divorce themselves from the name watchtower because they they got really tired of people hearing stories about, you know, knock on the door and people would say, "Who is it? Um is this the watchtower?" because they were so closely associated with that magazine. Yeah, rebranding, right? Yeah, definitely. Basically, yeah. For PR. Thank you so much. Uh I I admire you both so much, Kimmy. Thank you for helping Freedom of Mind. You've helped me with my website and blogs and other things. And um, uh, thank you, Mark, for all of your tireless work. Uh, and and people need to know, most of this is uncompensated work. Like most of my hours, no one's paying me to, to do this activism, but I believe it's so necessary. And I've had this experience and I want I want to share what I've learned with others. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Well, we appreciate it, Steve, and we certainly hope that your work is going to continue kind of blending what we're trying to do and raise awareness of this, you know, principle of uh, undue influence yes. and 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 hopefully get that into the courts so that the courts can better understand what has happened to all of these people in in cults. Yes, thank you again so thank much. You, Bye-bye. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website, freedomofmind.com. There you will find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend reading my books, Combating Cult Mind Control and Freedom of Mind, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. Thanks for listening. 